our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Hello, welcome to Girls That Invest. I'm so excited for another episode. This week we have a very, very special guest and friend dear to my heart. Her name is Tori. You might know her as her first 100K or the author and podcast host of Financial Feminist, which has top charts around the world. Tori is a best-selling author, a best-selling podcast. Her first 100K has millions upon millions of followers, views. They have been an absolutely huge part of the financial freedom movement. But today we're going to be talking to Tori about something that we haven't really seen a lot of people speak on because it is such a hard conversation. So many people in our community still feel that, you know, growing a little bit of money is good, but growing wealth is bad and money is evil. And perhaps I shouldn't be too greedy, but more importantly, is it ethical to be an investor? Is it ethical to put my money in funds, especially in this day and age, especially with what is going on around the world? Is it possible to at the same time be a feminist and participate and now benefit from capitalism? It's been something that's been on my mind. It's been something that's been on your mind. We literally have the best person to come in and chat about it today with us. We're so excited. Please welcome Tori Dunlop. Now, before we get into the episode, we want to thank our season sponsor, RentApp. Paying rent is a hassle, but what if we told you there's an easier and more straightforward way? Meet RentApp, your ultimate rent paying sidekick. No more ATM trips, no more checks, and no more app juggling. RentApp deposits your rent directly into your landlord's account hassle-free. Plus, it's free to you and your landlord doesn't need an account either. But here's the kick. RentApp doesn't just stop at rent. They're all about helping you build a brighter financial future. There's even an option to report rent payments to boost your credit score, making homeownership more achievable. For our GTI listeners, we've got an exclusive deal. Use our referral link rent.app slash GTI for $50 cash back on your first rent payment. Ready to simplify? Check out the referral link in the description or head over to rent.app slash GTI and make rent a breeze. Tori. 
Corey, thank you so much for coming on the show. We are so excited to have you. It is always good to see you. Thank you for having me on. I feel like I uh, this has been a long time coming. It feels it's so funny that we're doing this the first time. I feel like you and I have talked so much and collaborated so much. It's like, yeah, it's a long time coming. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I think eventually we were both like, wait, we have podcasts and we have never been on each other's podcast. <laughs> I have slept over at your house before I have interviewed you. I know. Isn't that funny? So yeah, we're we're going to have you on in due time as well. And yeah, it's just lovely to be on and it's lovely to see you. So thanks for having me. No, thank you. And, and for those that are listening and going, what do you mean you were at Tori's house? Did you know that well, actually you explain it. You do this beautiful thing with your best friend every year and I've never seen people do it. Can you explain this annual trip that you do? Yeah. So we go on what we call a friend moon, which is like a honeymoon style trip as best friends. And we like just have gone, oh my gosh, we've gone to Costa Rica. We've gone to Italy. We've gone to Ireland. We just got back from Morocco. And last year we went to New Zealand and a little Australia, but mostly New Zealand. And you came over to our lovely Airbnb in Raglan and we had you for dinner and you were just, just lovely. And the night got late after talking and drinking some wine and we're like, just stay in our house and leave in the morning. And you're like, can I? And I was like, yeah, of course we have an extra bedroom. So it wasn't particularly our house, but it was our house for the week we were there. So yeah, we had a lovely, lovely evening. And then we met up with you again before we left. And what was that? Auckland. We we met up for dinner again before we left. So yeah. It was fantastic. And it's just such a beautiful idea. I think I called it Friends Miss. It's a Friends Moon. Friend Moon that you do. Friend Moon. Yep. I've never thought about it this way because I think in this world, we often really romanticize traveling with your partner or traveling with a person that is a significant other. And the idea of traveling with your friends is like something you do in your early 20s when you're young and you're broke. And it's almost this idea of when you don't have money, travel with your friends, when you can afford it, find a partner and go with them. But, you know, you've really continued this tradition for how many years now? Uh, we started in 2017 and we took a year off, but it's been, what is this? Our seventh trip, if I'm doing the math, right? Like it's just kind of crazy. And it's the thing we look most forward to every year. And yeah, it's uh, to your point exactly, which is, yeah, unfortunately we as a society have only deemed travel quote unquote worth it. If it's like, yeah, with your romantic partner, I promise you solo travel or travel with someone else in your life, whether that's your best friend or your mom or your coworker or just like somebody else that you love and care about can be just as good, if not better. (laughs) And uh, highly recommend traveling, even if you do have a romantic partner, continuing to travel with people that you're not dating. I think it's just really great. It's also like the stigma of like, wait, you didn't go with your partner. You took your friend. What's wrong? Right. And it's like, no, I get to travel with my partner. I love traveling with my partner. I also like, yeah, I've spent more time with Christine than I think anybody else in my life except my parents. Like she and I have spent thousands of hours in cars together and on flights together. And so it's not only a great way to see the world, it's a great way to like, you know, strengthen your friendship and work out things that are going on in your friendship. And like, it's, it's challenged us and pushed us in ways that I think are you know, yeah, definitely challenging, but really healthy and really good. And, and so, yeah, just highly recommend thinking outside the box when it comes to like travel and who to travel with. Thinking outside the box. That's a good way to put it. One of the most common questions that we get on girls that invest in the community is, you know, I really want to invest and I want to get started and I obviously want to make money work for me, but I have this internal dilemma of, especially in this current like climate, 
is investing ethical and is wanting to have wealth ethical and is wanting to grow my money ethical, can we be feminists and also participate in capitalism? And, you know, you've got a award-winning podcast and your Times bestseller book titled Financial Feminist, which I think really speaks to the issue at hand. But what do you say when people come up to you and say, look, I want to do this, but I just have this internal thing holding me back? Oh, gosh. I mean, this is the thing that truly I have spent a very, very long time thinking about myself. Because especially when I was about to embark on writing my book, if I'm going to write a book that hopefully is as timeless as it can be, like one of the fears I had was like, okay, it's titled Financial Feminist, but we exist in a society that exists under capitalism and is anything under you know, capitalism truly feminist? And unfortunately, the answer is no. Like in a capitalist world that demands you know, constant productivity, constant hustle, lack of community, lack of, you know, equality and equity, like uh, true feminism doesn't exist. So one of the things I was, you know, struggling with, with that, then it's like, well, then what advice can I give? (laughs) You know, what advice can I give to like work to better your money? If, and you can bleep this, if I'm not allowed to say it, but if we're all basically anyway, right. It's like, how can you actually progress in, in your, in your money and feel like you're doing the quote unquote right thing. So the, the kind of conclusion I came to couple things. And I, again, explore this a lot more in my book. The first thing is that money is not inherently good or bad. It has no moral value. I think we associate money typically, if we're associating it negatively, we associate it with exploitative billionaires and, you know, rude people who are on yachts who pollute the environment and who, you know, are just not out for the collective, right? And the thing about money is that it is a stack of paper at the end of the day, right? It is a stack of paper. And I have seen people do terrible things with money, right? We see people fund wars with money. We see people, again, destroy the environment with money. We also see people curing diseases with money. We see people who, you know, support policies and candidates that we want to see more of. We see people create these incredible organizations and and these incredible missions with money. And we can see that money doesn't have any sort of moral value. It is inherently neutral. What you choose to do with it is where morality starts to come in, right? It's like a tool, right? It's like a knife. You know, a knife can make you dinner. A knife can also kill somebody, right? It's what you choose to do with it and how, you know, the person's hands it's in that really determine whether money is a, you know, morally good or morally bad thing. Oh, wow. I've never heard of someone use a knife analogy like that. Yeah. I mean, right. It can like, it can stab you and it can cut you, but it can also cut you vegetables and, you know, (laughs) cut wood for a fire. I don't, I don't think you're cutting, you know, wood with a knife, but you know, you get my, you get my analogy here. And I think that was one thing that I think is a little liberating just to realize, okay, yeah, money is a stack of paper. It has no value. What you do with it has value. The second thing when it comes to capitalism that I really struggled with is, okay, I don't want to win capitalism, mm. right? I don't want to become a billionaire. I don't want to win capitalism because that means I've probably exploited somebody, right? I've probably taken advantage of somebody or just, you know, weaponized capitalism in order to benefit uh, at the expense of somebody else. 
At the same time, though, I cannot and you cannot and our listener cannot lose capitalism either. Because if you say, okay, I don't want to win capitalism, so I'm just not going to participate. Unfortunately, this is the system we have right now. You don't like it. I don't like it. It's not a good system, but this is the one we currently have, right? And while we work to change the system that exists, right, you still have to pay your rent. You still have to pay off your student loans. You still have to figure out how to survive. So I don't want to win capitalism because that means suffering for others. But if I lose capitalism, that means deep suffering for myself and for my family and my for my community. So the idea is how do we exist in capitalism doing the least amount of harm possible? And how do we use the money we do have in order to start changing the system that exists in order to make a more equitable world for everybody around us? And I think the other last thing that I'll say too is that in so much of the research I found for my book, in particular, women are just radicalized to think that we should reject money at all costs. Because again, it's bad. It's bad people have money. I don't deserve money. I don't want it. Money's bad, right? And what happens then is that if you're told as a woman that the pursuit of wealth is wrong, it keeps you disenfranchised. If you have been conditioned to believe that the pursuit of wealth is a morally corrupt thing, then it keeps you underpaid, overworked, financially struggling in situations that don't respect you. It allows you to be continually taken advantage of. So while I don't support like uplift capitalism, this is the system we currently have. We as individuals have to navigate it to the best of our ability. And if we choose to opt out, unless you are going to like, you know, a rural community where you are making (laughs) your own food and like, you know, raising your own livestock and like, you know, and some people do that. That's not for me. I think that's not for most people. Like you are opted in. You are kind of forced to be opted in. So let's do the best we can with what we have while we work to change the system for everybody else. Oh, that's a really great answer. One of the things you touched upon was you don't want to be a billionaire. And you mentioned that, you know, to be a billionaire, there must be some level of exploitation. And I agree that up to this point, most people that have become billionaires have done it in ways that maybe the average person would not have liked to behave in. Do you think there's a future where we can aspire to great levels of wealth without exploitation? I let me be clear. I don't want to be a billionaire, but I do want to have lots of money. <laughs> like I do want to have lots of money. I just don't know if anybody needs a billion dollars. Like 900,000? <laughs> sure. Like I don't think, you know, I don't think 99 million, right? Like, or what is it? The you know, 999 yes. million. I don't know if there's an individual person who needs that much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's just a lot of money. So I think, you know, I joke that there's a couple billionaires that can stay, right? Like Rihanna can stay. Sarah Blakely can stay. Oprah can stay, you know, but I think that there's a way to build things, build a company, build a movement, build your wealth while doing the least harm. But I am not naive enough to think that every decision we make, have you seen the good place, Sim? Have you ever seen that show? No, I don't watch a lot of TVs. TV shows. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's very good to recap it quickly. It's basically this idea of like the good places, heaven, bad places, hell. And it's like all of your actions on earth, right. Have determined where you're going. Oh, and there's this great episode where you realize like 
that, you know, this person has tried to live this morally upstanding life. They've tried to like grow their own vegetables so that, you know, they don't have pesticides and like, just, they've made every sort of quote unquote right decision. But then you realize that, you know, okay, they, they grew their own tomatoes, but in doing so, you know, then a tomato farmer couldn't get food for his family because he wasn't, you know, supporting the tomato farmer. So like every decision we make, we're just trying to do the best that we can. Mm. Like, because under capitalism, there is like no completely 100% morally ethical decision. So when it comes to like, can we create companies, invest, do all of the things that we want to do to become rich, to become wealthy, to become financially independent? Like, is there that sort of pursuit that doesn't have to be exploitative? I think so. It's also like, we're always under this umbrella of just trying to do the best that we can with what we have. And I think that, you know, it's constantly a balance of you figuring out what matters to you. And in the last chapter of my book, we talk about like, how do you live a financial feminist lifestyle? Like when you do know about all of these things now, and you do know how to pay off debt and you do know how to start investing, like how do you actually do that in a way that feels good? And the answer is different for every person, right? And I'm sure you've talked about this on the show, and this is, might be what we're leading to, but there's ways to invest that aren't, you know, as exploitative, right? You can invest in companies that, you know, are fossil fuel free, or you can even you know, like be really specific and just say, okay, I'm just going to invest in companies that, you know, are investing in women or that are, you know, owned by women. And so you get to decide what that looks like. On the flip side of that, I actually choose, and this is maybe controversial to some people listening. I don't prioritize ethical investing because I'd rather take the money and take my profits and actually do good things with that money. So I am okay playing the game if it means then taking the money and doing something else good with it, right? Some people, you know, I live in Seattle. Some people are very anti-Amazon. They're like, I don't want to shop at Amazon. Great. Like you get to decide what ethical money management means for you. You know, are you only going to support local or, you know, BIPOC women-owned businesses? Cool. Are you just looking to prioritize that? And I would say the temptation, because again, there's no 100% ethical decision. You have to kind of let some things go. Mm -hmm. And you have to decide, okay, this is something that I'm okay doing, or this is something I'm not okay doing. You're not going to be able to do everything you possibly can, right? You can't save the whales and also, you know, cut down on child poverty and save the rainforest. You can't do everything. You're one person. So pick the things that really matter to you, stand by those, and then find ways to continue to build your wealth in a way that feels good to you. I'm giving you really long-winded answers here, but it's something that I feel very passionate about because it's really difficult. It's really difficult. I think this is beautiful and I've it is controversial. I've never heard someone actively give that perspective where they're like, look, I am willing. I mean, I also have a lot of my money in large index funds and those do have the top 500 companies in the US, that does also mean that there's some in there that I am not a huge fan of. But I've never considered balancing it in a way where you're saying, okay, I will take the profits of my investments and as a consumer, I will make more ethical purchases for example, not supporting a certain brand and putting, I've noticed like you do love your, your indie bookstores and you do love your, you know, supporting local. So I see how that works. I've never considered it that way. Or starting a company, right? 
like I'm okay doing the same thing of taking money and putting it in index funds that invest in some companies that I may not be the biggest fan of. But then, okay, when I am taking the money that I'm earning, cool, it means I'm financially stable and that's an act of protest. Society and capitalism doesn't want a woman to be financially stable and well. And then I take that money and I grow a business and I give people jobs, typically women. And I, you know, uh, I'm out here building a company and building a business that helps other women do the same. So for me, that that feels that feels okay. But to a listener, it might not, and that's also okay. You have to figure out what makes sense for you. How do you deal, or how did you get through that initial guilt of? Because I think we all kind of feel it. We grew up being taught. Be yeah. okay with less. Be humble. Do not ask for too much. Do not, don't be that young person that asks for a pay rise so quickly. How did you overcome that? Because you have such confidence with money. And I wish we all felt that way. But for some people, especially people at the beginning of their journey, it's scary to feel confident about wanting more money. Yeah. The kind of revelation that I found in writing and researching the book was that our altruism, and I'm going to speak in broad strokes and also using the gender binary here, but our altruism as women has been ingrained in us since basically day one. If you look at the toys that are given children, again, stereotypically, right, we give boys Legos, trucks, things to build, right? We tell them, you know, when they're two, three, four years old, that they're value to society, their value to themselves is in their own ingenuity, right? Is in their own critical thinking and their own production. And we tell them, yeah, build, you know, the Legos and then topple it over and build it again, right? We teach them to be okay with failure. And we teach them that this is your value is your own thinking. What do we teach girls? We give girls dolls. We give them easy bake ovens. We give them a thing to take care of, right? We give a literal child another child to take care of. We teach girls immediately that their value is in how selfless they can be to somebody else. We tell girls immediately that their value is not in their own thinking and their own building, but in how selfless they are for somebody else. And I love that we teach girls to be altruistic. I think that's beautiful. I think that's lovely. We're just not teaching boys the same, right? So the answer is not be more selfish, but the answer is to create a better world that applauds that selflessness and that encourages that selflessness and supports that selflessness in a way that also takes care of girls and women. So if we've been conditioned to think from our childhoods, okay, this is what we have to do is give of ourselves and sacrifice then of course we don't think we're deserving of money. And of course we don't think that we're deserving of opportunities. And of course we think that somebody else should get the promotion over us. Or of course we feel deeply emotionally horrible when we feel like we have to make a decision financially that isn't the most, you know, I've never kicked a puppy, rainbows, (laughs) butterflies, happy decision ever, right? Like, And unfortunately, I don't think men are conditioned to feel this way. And that's at their detriment, right? So what we're just trying to do is we're trying to find the middle. We're trying to find the middle of the Venn diagram where you're one circle and the world is another circle. And you can find the middle where you are taken care of and you are nourished. And at the same time, you're doing what you can for the world. And I say in the book that we practice oxygen mask finances right? Like you have to put your own oxygen mask on first before you help somebody else. Because 
you cannot pour from an empty cup. Like that old adage is true. Like if you are so selfless and so giving to the point where you don't have anything left over, well, how good is that really? Because you've just depleted yourself of all of your resources. So you can't give anymore, right? Because you're burnt out. It's gone. So we have to get you financially stable first. We have to get you an emergency fund. We have to make sure that you're debt-free. We have to make sure that you are protected in your own retirement with your investments. And then we get to help others because we cannot put somebody else's oxygen mask on first because then we, and probably the person we're trying to help, they die, right? So you have to be okay with being quote unquote selfish for a second knowing that ultimately that is for the good of yourself, for the good of your community and for the good of the world. Because when you are whole, when you are stable, when you are healthy, you get to help all of the rest of the people who need help. Do you have women or people in your life that have, you know, embodied this and you see that they have, you know, chosen to be selfish with their money, to put themselves first, to invest, and now they're able to go out and help? For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone. And the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach, and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. I truly, as cheesy as it sounds, think the biggest inspirations to me in my life are the women who have done that. Mm -hmm. Because I've also seen the women who have run themselves ragged for the benefit of somebody else. And they're either deeply capital T tired or they're bitter and resentful, or they're just not the most pure, true, full version of themselves. And the women that I just so admire are the ones who set boundaries, are the women who have a lot of ease and joy in their life. And they actively say, you know what, I'm not going to hustle for that. I'm not going to do that. That's not and, and like, I learn from that all the time because <laughs> you, we've talked about this. We're both very, very, very just ambitious people and ambitious women. And it's very easy to fall into the trap of like doing more and doing more. And just the women who stand in their power, who are just like, yep, this is what I'm going to do, or this is what I'm not going to do. And I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of and make sure my family's taken care of. And then when they, they're so 
sure of themselves and they show up as the fullest version of themselves. And then they get to take all of that energy and all of that stability and pass it on to somebody else and pass it on to their communities. I was actually just thinking about this the other day in a very like specific microcosm example, but there's one woman in my, in my life who I'm thinking of, and it's actually her birthday today. She's like my second mom. She's like this incredible mentor to me. I lived with her for like the first year I was working my corporate job. And at the time we didn't know each other. We were complete strangers. And I remember seeing her give like really, really nice presents to like her garbage person and to her like post person, you know, the person delivering mail, the person taking the garbage, she would do this around the holidays. And I remember just thinking like, oh, wow. Honestly, I had never thought of that. And like, not just like, you know, a Starbucks gift card, but like really nice presents. And I was literally driving up my driveway yesterday, pulling my car in and I saw the post person, the postman. And I was like, wow, I am at the state in my life now where that doesn't feel so crazy because I have a really good life. I've taken care of myself. I have a great team. I have done the work that I need to do to create a life for me that is that is full and stable and kick-ass. And like, well, if I wanted to, I could take a couple hundred dollars and go buy my garbage person a Christmas gift or go write them a check. Like, And that was a really cool feeling for me to realize that I was stable enough to do that. And I know you and I have talked a little bit about like what financial stability can look like and these sorts of things. But like that for me was just literally, I was just thinking about it yesterday of of a perfect example of this, of, oh, she is so stable and content and has taken care of herself and done the work on herself where, yep, she can write that check to somebody else to make their day absolutely lovely. And it doesn't devastate her right? It just makes it even better. That gave me goosebumps. That is so cool. You you like <laughs> saw someone do something that I've never heard of. Like I, we give gifts to like our colleagues, we give gifts to, you know, if you're a right. landlord, maybe you'll give a gift to a tenant at Christmas time. You, you do things to make people's lives easier, but to extend it outside of maybe someone you haven't even talked to, but they help you every single week. Like I don't want my post to go missing and my postman you know, delivers it. Like I should be thanking them if I have the means. I think that's so beautiful. Did you know that as women's wealth increases, uh, charitable givings increase as well? Right. It doesn't happen for men. No. But again, that altruism, right? And the answer is not, I need you to hear, dear listener, right? The answer is not care less. Mm. <laughs> like, God, the answer is not care less. The answer is like, how do I get more money into your hands so you can care even more and you can make this world the dream that we all have, right? Where it is peaceful and equitable and kind, right? And like, I'm tearing up after you just said that. Like, that's the world I want to see. I want to see a world where everybody, but especially women, don't have to be in toxic situations they don't want to be in anymore. I want to see a world where women show up as the fullest version of themselves, where they get to take vacation, where they get to have nice things, where they get to, you know, do all of the things that make them happy, but also, once they have all of those, they pay it forward, right? And I start and end my book with the same quote, which is when you have all you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. And it's this idea of you have to get stable, you have to build a table that is sturdy, and that is, you know, supportive, and that is there to support everything that you need, right? But when that's built, 
we're not going to hoard it. We're not going to gatekeep it, right? Because we're well-fed, we are going to build a longer table so that other people can join us. And so if you're out there thinking like, I can't pursue wealth or money because it's bad. No, think of what all you can do. Think of all of the beautiful things that you can do when you're not in debt anymore. Mm. And think of all the beautiful things that you can do when you have enough money to be able to say no to bad situations. You just doing that is going to be an inspiration in and of itself. But then when you have the money and the means and the power and the influence to be able to make a bigger impact, well, that's really what we need. That's what we need. I know that you mean this wholeheartedly because sometimes on your reels or like TikToks, people will sometimes comment and be like, you're a multi-millionaire. You've done all this, but like, why do you live in that apartment? Or why do you wear those clothes? Or why, like, why are you not dripped out in Louis Vuitton? Like, why do you not have, you know, sea views of Seattle? And it clearly shows like you take the great hard work that you've done, you take that wealth and you redistribute it after you've taken care of yourself. But the wealth that you grew, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not like you drive a Lamborghini and live in a $10 million home. No. And I think, you know, I do own, I think, two designer things, three designer things. What do you have? I have, (laughs) I can literally show you. I have a, um, I have an Yves Saint Laurent passport case. Gorgeous. That I wanted to buy. And then I actually lost, but I'm sure they're around here somewhere, a pair of Versace sunglasses. (laughs) And then I have a Gucci belt. Those are the three things that I owned. And all of them were like under $500. But again, if you want to do that, fine. But I do think that there is an expectation of what wealth looks like to your (laughs) point, right? Like, oh, if you're a multimillionaire, yeah, you have, you know, the Fendi everything and you're driving a Lambo. And it's like, first of all, how do you think I got rich? It wasn't from blowing all of my money immediately. <laughs> like The other thing, and this is probably not very accessible, but it's something that you and I have talked about, is that when you do have money, there seems to be an expectation of what you should do, like what a quote unquote rich person should do. And I've realized like, actually, when I have bought these designer things, like they haven't made me very happy. But what has made me really happy is spending my money on like friend moons or spending my money on this one, you know, necklace that is made by this tiny designer that no one's ever heard of, or like, like, you know, this, this woman making necklaces in Mexico or something like that. So I think that that's one thing too, is it's like, we just have this very clear expectation of what we think wealth or money looks like. And it's very, it, it like, it's not Scrooge McDuck, right? It's not like, yeah, it's not like decked out in designer goods all the time. And I think I really appreciate what you said, I am, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. I really try though, to think about money as a tool of like, okay, if I have it, how can I get more money into more women's hands? (laughs) How can I have this feeling for every, like, how can every single woman I know have this feeling? Every single woman in our community have this feeling that I have, which is like, yep, we don't want to do that. Okay. We're not doing it. I don't care how much money it is. Like, I'm not going to do it. Or Yep, I do get to do this opportunity because I'm in a position to do that. I do get to give women jobs. I do get to like advocate for women and advocate for myself. So yeah, I mean, this is a larger conversation that you and I can have, but I do think that there's a massive difference. I've talked about this with Vivian too, who's a fellow friend and finance expert about this. There's a massive difference between millionaire and billionaire, but I think we lump them in the same category when we don't know a lot about money because the same comments, you know, will be like, oh, you're a millionaire. What are you doing? And I'm like, million dollars, first of all, 
in today's economy. A lot of money, yeah, but not really a lot of money at the same time. And like, I want every single woman on this planet to be a millionaire. Like, million dollars gives you a lot of options. Million dollars allows you to take care of yourself. Billion dollars is a whole <laughs> nother level of money. So there's that difference as well that I think is important to highlight. Millionaire and billionaire are very, 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 very different. Yeah, that's very true. I had some friends say to me the other day, they were like, you are the worst rich person I know. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, you don't spend any of it. They're like, if I had your money, like I would be treating myself a bit more. And I'm like, I do treat myself. I travel. I spend money on my family. Right. That's important to me. I invest. I angel invest. I know you do as well. We put money back into companies mm-hmm. that we believe in, female founders, people of color, like businesses that maybe the average boardroom doesn't understand because they aren't the end user, but, but totally. we can see the benefit of them. And we're, you know, making that a lot easier for those types of businesses to reach and have capital. One thing that you said earlier that has really stuck with me at the start of this conversation is that money is just paper. It is not good. It is not bad. And I think sometimes we forget that. If you could leave our listeners with one thing that they can take away to stop feeling bad about money, to stop feeling like you can't be a feminist and exist in capitalism, what would it be? First thing to remind yourself of is that you are just doing the best that you can with what you have. That's it. You're doing the best you can with what you have. And the second thing is that money can be a tool, right? Again, tools can be used to do horrible things. Tools can also be used for really, really incredible things, right? So if we can use our money as a tool of protest, if we can support the kind of companies we want to see, if we can advocate for ourselves at work, if we can invest to build our own wealth and to always prioritize our own stability while also trying to make the best decisions that we can make, then the world's going to be a lot better of a place. So I think that reminder is just really helpful when you start to spiral and start to have those feelings of just, you know what, I'm doing the best I can with what I have in this fucked up capitalist society. And also money is a tool and it can be used in a really powerful way to make an impact and to create the kind of world I want to see. Oh, that is a mic drop moment. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think even I have like felt a shift in how I view money. Sometimes you do still feel guilty about these things. Now, Tori, obviously this is an episode that you listen to and you're like, this isn't enough. It's only been 30 minutes. If we want to find more of you, if we want to listen to more of these really insightful you know, conversations that you have, where can we find you? You've got an amazing top charting podcast. You've got a New York Times bestseller book. We want to support. How do we find you? I appreciate it. I am Her First 100K on all the socials. You can also go to herfirst100k.com. And my book and podcast are called Financial Feminist, wherever you listen to podcasts and wherever you read your books. And I have to say, guys, I have listened to the podcast. I have read the book. I have purchased products off herfirst100k.com. I I'm a fan. Oh, it was the PR one that you did, the like PR. Oh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have had so much PR as a result of it. Life-changing. That's also definitely a testament to you and what you're doing. No, just thank you for having me. And you inspire me so much. And we are so aligned in how we approach money. And, and you're just one of my favorite people on the internet. So thank you. Thanks for having me. No, you're my favorite person on the internet. No, I'm, I'm sure people are probably <laughs> tuning out at the <laughs> no, same time. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Tori. Thank you. And as always, to finish off with the disclaimer, 
Skills That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. Always do your research and please do your due diligence.